Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. I'm Kristen Lovett from Class Business and Accounting, and you're listening to the Outsourced Accountant Podcast. Kristen, tell us about your business story and its history. Right. Um, so we kicked off in 2016 in a regional town known as Tenerfield. Um, so I was a you know a bright-eyed 26-year-old. I had all the answers to everything and how an accounting firm needs to be run. Um, but I wanted to create something that was different to anything that I'd worked in before. So I wanted something that would focus on culture and engagement and, and the experience for the client and, and that service piece. Um, so something that was, was a bit different to what I'd experienced previously, but also something that would really break the stereotypical mould of, you know, we're just all boring accountants. Um, so, I, I mean, I can say that class definitely ticks all those boxes now where we're pretty, pretty out there in how we approach things. So we operate in Tenerfield, New South Wales. So it's a, a small regional town. We, we sit on a population of around 6,700 thereabouts. Um, but I always struggled in getting accountants to move to Tenerfield. It's been my, my ongoing problem since we started, which really limited my growth and, and what we could do and the type of services that we could offer as well. Um, so in 2016, we opened a second office in Kingscliff, New South Wales. And my thought with that was it would increase our radius of clients that we would pick up, but it was also on the doorstep of a university. So I thought it would make it a lot easier to employ. Um, what it did do was it actually probably worked in reverse and showed us how fierce the competition was and how there was probably a shortage in accounting um, coming through the university and, and people wanting to do public practice work. You know, they just want to do corporate where the money is bigger um, and, and they've got a bit more flexibility. So when we went into Kingscliff, we were there for 12 months and after 12 months, my manager actually got headhunted by a larger firm as well. Um, and at that point in time, I made the decision that we would close Kingscliff because I felt that that management position needed to come from within. and We needed to have someone who'd worked in, in the business and worked with me for some time before they went into running another office for us in a different location. So that was, it was a good learning though. And I really took away the positives of that in, in that that's, that kicked us off in being able to work remotely and work from anywhere. Um, so that, that started us in having remote teams in Australia and also with Tower. Excellent. So give us an overview of your team structure, both locally and obviously the team that you have with us, what sort of roles they do and, and yeah, a bit more information about your team. Yeah, for sure. So we've got, um, so in Tenerfield, we have five full-time team there. We've got a couple of casuals that work with us as well, but we've got five full-time and that's a mix of client services, um, our management team. We've got administration in there as well and our accounting team as well. So we've got a mix there. We run a hybrid model. So we've also got uh, two remote accountants that work within Australia as well. So we've got one that's in Victoria and another one that She's usually in Sydney, but she's currently just, she's relocated to Tahiti. So um, not a bad gig. Um, cool place to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She And she actually lives on a boat. So we have a team meeting every morning and, you know, you can see the ocean behind her or she'll send us pictures of what she's, what she's got going on or sitting out on the hammock and, oh, it's beautiful. It's, I'm very, very envious. 
Um, so we've, we've got our two remote accountants that, that are sort of Australia-based and then we've got um, two in our TOA team uh, with a third joining in December. Excellent. So the story of setting up your offshore team, what were your motivations behind doing this versus obviously all the other priorities that you have as a running a business? Yeah, yeah. So really our, our first motivation and our first priority into going into it and why we were doing that, um, we needed reliable and consistent teams. So again, coming back to that, having trouble in, in getting people to come to Tenerfield, um, I saw it as an opportunity to be able to build a really strong accounting team um, and be able to have them anywhere. Um, so a, a cost wasn't really our, our primary focus initially, but what I was seeing was our, our wages ratios were always sitting quite high and, I mean, accountants aren't getting any cheaper. So the feedback that I was always getting as well was people were looking for more. And I think there was one year where I did everyone's reviews and, you know, our accounting team had jumped up by 15K just based on the new employees that we had in that period and where the market had gone. So I could see that I needed to do something different in my cost structure so that our support team had more of a margin on them to then be able to help us with the overall business and the profitability of the business. So uh, whilst that wasn't the primary focus, that was that was part of our motivation, but the main thing was just to get a consistent team. And, and I didn't want to be in a position where we were turning people over each two years because they were in the country and they needed more and wanted to move away. So that's why we went remote and hybrid so that we could have anyone anywhere and, and it seems to have worked quite well for us as far as consistency goes. Yeah, excellent. So how did you go about getting set up? So how did you go about researching, finding a partner, um, the recruitment, the onboarding? What was the process like for you? Yeah, so we worked through this for a couple of years before we actually found TOA. So I'd actually worked with two other BPO companies before finding TOA. Um, they were very, very different experiences, I must say. So uh, the first one was we were actually sending work offshore, sending them the work. It wasn't assigned to anyone in particular. It was just going into their work pool. Someone was working on it and sending it back. Um, that never, ever worked because we couldn't train the, the person in how our methods were. We had no consistency in how the work was returned and it, there was always a heap of extra work that needed to be done as a result. So that, that didn't work for us at all and we, we finished that up pretty quickly. Um, then we worked with another um, offshore um, business in the Philippines as well and I just found that their team selection probably wasn't as thorough. Um, we didn't get the right match with, with some of our team um, um, team matchups that we had and the skills weren't developed further and I found that there wasn't as much of a focus on culture which is a bit of an issue with me in that that's one of our major focuses within our business and to have another team member that's not um, you know we can put as much culture in as far as our own culture goes but there needs to be a bit of that within where they're working as well um, and that's why it works so well with TOA because TOA obviously have such a big emphasis on that within um, the office as well. So um, then I had a BDM employed with us in, in Kingscliff and, and did a lot of uh, business advisory work and, and did a lot of BDM work in my business. And she'd actually worked for TOA before and she suggested that we look at TOA and, and make that transition over. Um, so we did that, yeah. Excellent. So for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give them on the type of work your offshore team do? So what sort of were the first tasks or jobs that you got your team to do and how's that? 
progressed over the last three and a half years that you've been a client of ours? Yeah, yeah. So we um, we started it off so that it was, we wanted them to be able to work across, off, I always knew what I wanted them to do. So I wanted them to be able to move into doing everything up to trial balance and coming to our accountants and then our accountants were checking it, um, doing the strategic work and then, then we would be signing off on it. So get it so that it was high level work. So we did build that over a couple of years. So when our team first came on, they were working all on individual returns and that's because in every job, everyone's got an individual even within the groups. So we did that so that they could get a good understanding of that level and also of the tax system and know where to find things when they had questions relative to can they claim this or what they can do, finding that information as well. Um, then, so then we moved them into working, you know, things that were quite common within our work papers. So getting them to do BAS reconciliations, um, you know, depreciation and pooling, all of the stuff that's in every job that's, that's quite repetitious. So they would learn that and learn that quite well. Um, so they worked in, into that. And then we just moved that up and stepped that up through that trial balance stage to, to get them to the point now where they, they can do the lot. So, um, I mean, I must say that Jessie's probably one of the best accountants that I've, I've ever worked with um, and, and she's our, our head over there and she, she's brilliant in what she does uh, with the work and the quality of work that comes back. And that, that took a little bit of building to, to get to that point, but it, it was also through that selection and her skill base when she was brought on with our team as well. And, um, yeah, she's very capable at what she does. So we did stagger it. We didn't put them into doing high-end work or, or things that were quite quite difficult straight up. Um, we did move, move them in over a couple of years. But, I mean, I would say by 18 months they were working in that level of work. So, And I think that's the key. A lot of, I know a lot of when we're talking to new clients or prospects they they're wanting them to do they can't find a senior in australia or the us or wherever they're based and they want them to come and do that work straight away and we say it's a journey to get them to there start with the basics so i think that how, what you've explained you got them to do is really helpful for anyone that hasn't got a team and even for those that do have a team and they're struggling with the level of work they're giving their team at the moment um, so when we look at the training side of it i know this is another one that um, people struggle with what advice would you give to um, anyone with a team already or, or that doesn't have a team about the training of how you got them to progressively increase their knowledge so that they could do the whole process, you know, like they do now? What did you do that worked and what um, did you learn along the way? So I, my number one piece would be to have one person that's allocated from the accounting team that works with them. Um, I mean, being accountants, and you'd understand this too, Nick, there's, there's multiple ways that you can get to an answer or get to a particular point within accounting. So there might be five different ways to get something done. So if you've got multiple people training all the time, you're getting different versions, which can be really, really confusing. So having one person that works with, with the, the training team is, is probably key in having that consistency so that they can see and start to build those fundamentals because then you'll get to a point where they start working with other team members as well and they start to see those other variations and yes they will work out what works best for them um, but I think in the initial part having one person allocated works really really well. Um, Tower Academy is really great as well I find that particularly too for a lot of soft skill work um, and, and culture-based work um, 
So that's been terrific as well. The other thing is communication. So I'd encourage anyone who's having a remote or offshore team to have a really good system in place around communication. So we use Slack. So our team are pretty much on video calls a lot of the time because they're talking one another through a job or they're looking at review points or showing how to do things. Even our internal team, our Australian team, do the same thing because it stops that, I guess, that loneliness of working you know, by yourself, but it's also, it's so much easier to talk someone through something rather than sending a three-page email and then trying to work out what it was that you were trying to get at. It's just easier to talk through. So, you know, even when I'm in my office, I'm sitting in my office now, sometimes I'll sit in here and I'll actually just do a Slack call to someone who's out in the main office just because I'm looking at something on my screen and I need them to look at it and I'm trying to explain it to them. So Slack's been really handy in that. It's really kept things open for our team, even to the point where one of my remote team commented a couple of weeks ago. She started in June and she said to me, I was really worried about being isolated in this job, but now, you know, I'm not. I talk more to to you guys now than what I did when I was in my last office. So communication is really good and that you need to have that as a focus because the team won't work and you can't you can't train them without having that good communication. And in those good relationships. And I think video is the best way to do that. You know, I a hundred percent agree with that. And I love a Simon Sinek um, quote I saw yesterday, emails get reactions, phone calls start conversations. Mm. And I think that that's one thing that we're constantly reinforcing to our, our clients and around emails great, but if all you do is communicate via email, you're not building a relationship and you're not really communicating in an effective way. You need to get on the on the screens and Slack at Teams or, you know, tools like this that we're using today, Zoom for recordings and all the different yeah. ones. You can't beat that face-to-face. And, and I think that what you said about you have more communication when you are remote, I think is true. And I think we've seen that through COVID as well is that you, you know, you may be working in the same office and I'm fortunate in the Gold Coast in Australia, we've, we've been working in the office pretty much the whole COVID, our whole team, all 20 of us. And some days I talk to them more on screens like this than I do actually in face-to-face meetings with them because we're bringing other people in from around the world. And I think yeah. that, yeah, it's a great thing. So when we're looking at, I suppose, managing the offshore team, what are the three tips that you would give anyone for managing and getting the most out of the offshore team? Uh, so my first thing really would be they are a part of your team um, and they're a part of your extended family. So you really need to be treating them that way. Um, you know, I had an interesting conversation with our tower manager um, probably six months ago and, and she was telling me around other people that she was speaking with and how they don't really get included in the business or showcased within the business. You know, my, my guys are on our webpage. They have email communications with clients. They, you know, they're part of the team and they get they get treated that way. You know, we'll have a, a catch up after the weekend on what they did, what we did, all of those things. You know, they're, they're really a, an important part of our team and they're, they're treated that way. Um, the next thing would be communication. So communicate, communicate, communicate. I can't emphasize enough really having that communication piece right um, and, and having that in place. And and allowing the team that communication as well, you know, team will they can video me at any point in time. They'll know straight away if I'm with the client or if I if I shut it down or if I put a message up that I'm in a meeting or something. But they know that they've got that ability to be able to access me, as does all the team, and that's really really important. It's also important for them to have access to to all the other team and all the accounting team too. Um, and the next one would be culture. So 
as I've said before, I'm really big around culture and making sure that the culture of the business is healthy and, and one a family and, and um, you know, create a culture that the team really enjoy to work in. Um, so we work hard in keeping our culture right and that's where I appreciate the work that's done by Tara as well in that, again, that, that emphasis is on culture as well. So I just think that's so important for people to have satisfaction in what they're doing in their job. Um, so that's that's what I think are probably your three keys. And I think those all gel together are some of the fundamental things that where we see clients succeed and where we see clients fail and the first point around they are part of your team a part of your culture um, and you've got to communicate with them. And, and those three things there alone, if you nail those, you're on the right path to having a successful relationship with your team member being global versus ones that, that don't. So when we talk about the success of your team members, how do you measure the success of your offshore team? What KPIs do you use and how do you measure their success overall? So... Uh, I mentioned this to you before, I, we changed over our systems a few years ago and I just felt like we had quite a lot of trouble in our visibility of, around the business and, the, and the, the operations. I also felt that it was impeding some of our um, work that we were doing around culture where, you know, the team probably were a bit resistant in me talking about the numbers all the time and this is where you're at, this is what you're not doing, this is what, you know, it wasn't a, an environment of praise they were feeling as though it was quite a lot of pressure. So I changed what we were doing in that in that zone and made it so that we were looking for a lot more positives, but we were also talking about feedback within there as well. But we weren't so much focused on where all the numbers and everything were. It was more around how many touch points have you had with the client? What's the client feedback on this job? When I ring up when and we or if we have a meeting at the end of the job, what has been the feedback on their experience within that job? So, because that was really important and still is really important to me on how our team are performing. But we do, we do look at numbers because obviously we're accountants. <laughs> um, so our main KPIs are we, we look at productivity, um, completed jobs, the average fee per client um, and our revenue to budget. We always have a look at our revenue to budget. Um, and we, we really, I mean, we still keep an eye on the engagement as well. So we have what's called heartbeat calls where our clients will just randomly um, get a phone call from, from our accounting team just to check in. So we don't necessarily need to be working on a job for them. We're just bringing up to have a heartbeat call and see how they're going and what's going on in their business. Um, and that's something that's programmed into our diaries. So when we do our dashboard meetings and we have come together to have a conversation or even weekly we check on who did you ring last week, what was the feedback from that call, and just to, to see that everyone's got that engagement. Excellent. Are you getting your Philippines team to do any of those heartbeat calls or is it more just your local team? Just our local team at the moment. So we yep. really have a, our, our local team, are our client-facing team, so they're the ones yep. that do the meetings um, and do a lot of that um, rapport building. Um our Phil's team do have, have contact as well through email, but we don't have calls and things or video calls or anything like that happening at the moment. And with the KPIs, the productivity, et cetera, do you have the same productivity expectations locally as you do with your global team or is it, or do you have different KPIs? No, I have different KPIs. So I have a look at the type of work that each of our team are doing um, and their KPIs are set around that. So some are a bit heavier in in that relationship building. So their KPIs reflect that. Um, and our TOA team actually have higher KPIs than our local team, obviously, because they're doing most of the work and we've got more meetings and things going on with our client-facing team. 
Excellent. So if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value that your offshore team provides, what would it be? Um, that would be essential. So we're at the point now where um, I would hate to think what our business would look like without our tower team. Um, and yeah, I, I honestly don't think I'd be able to survive without my manager over there. And um, I just, yeah, I, I see it as an essential part of our business. Excellent. So do you have a people strategy mapped? Um, and if you do, what do you see the ratio of team members being onshore versus offshore um, in the medium to long term? So we don't have a formalised people strategy and that's, I mean, things move and change a lot within our business. I mean, we've just, we, we're just looking at um, what other options and what other avenues we've got for additional services um, within the business, which would then change our people strategy again. But I don't have anything that, that is documented for that, but we are working on a one to two, so one tower to two Australian at the moment. Um, and that's because of the level of client-facing work that we do. So obviously we're quite focused on that relationship. We're quite focused on, on having those conversations. And if, you know, if Bob wants to call in and have a chat to us for half an hour, then he can. Um, so we, we've got that in place. And that's why our Australian team is a lot higher, um, is, is around that. So um, we, will, we will obviously increase our tower team over time. That is something that, that is a focus, and particularly as we change our service offerings as well. It's really been, the last three years have really been about us betting in our system. So when we changed everything and went completely cloud, the ability to work anywhere, our, our whole remote offering. It's taken us a couple of years to actually bed that in. I can remember having conversations with accountants at, at um, conferences and saying, oh, I just feel like I need to turn it all back and go back to where I was. And it, because it was really impacting our profit, it was impacting our culture, everyone was sitting in the corner rocking. You know, it wasn't an easy change. It wasn't that we just flipped the switch and everything was a miracle and it was great. There was a lot of work in it to do it. Um, and in doing that, we invested a lot of money in the team and in our systems. And then over time, we've been able to drop back our numbers. So at our highest point, we had 14 employed. So now we're back to sitting around nine and 10. And that's because our efficiencies have increased, but our work has actually increased. So our turnovers up, but our people numbers are down. And that's because we've increased our efficiencies. So with that, um, we're sort of we're at that point now where we're ready to rejig what we're doing, what our turnover is doing, and then what we're doing with team. So there will be more to come. I think that's an important point with all change management. A lot of people don't want to go backwards to go forwards, and and I suppose a lot of the time when we sold the concept or the idea of the benefits of cloud or or whatever. I mean, even going into offshoring, it sounds so easy in that, but you get into it and it does take longer and a more a high investment. I think that that's just that, I suppose, understanding why you're in the journey is hard, but reflecting back is easy to go, all right, well, yes, we did go backwards, but now we're ready to really leverage and, and get the full benefit of that. Mm. I think that's it's, a great point to, for people to, to hear. Yeah, it's like drawing back an arrow, isn't it? You've got to go backwards mm. to really propel forwards. So, and that that's really part of the, the change management process, I think, is keeping your eye on what the end result is going to be. So really start with the end in mind. And, and I would say as a tip for anyone is really communicating that to your team and making sure that you keep that in front of them all the time, that this is, this is what we're getting to, this is what we're working towards. So whilst you're feeling this frustration at the moment, whilst this might not be working for you at the moment or whilst you're feeling like we're very under pressure with our workflow because we're just trying to, to get things nailed, it's 
it's all about looking at what it's going to be like in, you know, in two years, in three years. And three years is the magic number. That's what I was told at this particular conference. Three years, you won't know yourself. And it was exactly right. It's it's completely restructured and changed how our business works in being able to make that cloud change, but our team changed. So I drew a picture of how our team and our workflow was going to work probably eight years ago. And I couldn't do it if I didn't restructure and do what I've done now with the team. Yeah, well, you certainly wouldn't be able to have a team in the Philippines, someone in Tahiti. You certainly, <laughs> the structure just wouldn't work. So with the year ahead, what is the plan with your offshore team? How do you plan to keep growing um, your team, their capability, and ultimately their performance? So really that's around increasing the skill set. Um, so the other thing is too is is that job satisfaction piece for our TOA team as well. So what is it individually that they want to achieve? Um, so my manager over there, she's she has wanted to be managing a team for, for some time um, and, and she's getting that opportunity now because we're bringing more people in, we're bringing more people to the mix and then and then she's able to work on those skills and those leadership skills. That's not something that, that she's had to use a lot of in the, in the last couple of years. It's just been all around the work and the compliance and, and working with our team. Now she gets to extend herself a bit more in leadership whilst also learning new things within the type of jobs that, that we're doing. So at the moment, I do the bulk of the um, business advice and, and management type structure of, of things and the, the CEO type role with our clients. That will shift over these next 12 months so that the senior accountants and also our TOA team will be assisting in that as well. Uh, and when we do all of our strategic work and our planning work at year end, at the moment, our team are working that through to a, here we go, here's the result. This is what I think this client could be doing. Um, so they're already starting to build those strategies, but now they'll be a, a lot more closer work with me in this year in actually working those strategies through more so that they'll get to the point where that they can just develop those strategies and be working with the clients on those. So it's more around passing that down, passing that knowledge down. You know, that's my legacy as a business owner and, and, and what I do is what can I teach my team so that they can do exactly this and get that satisfaction, but also have those really strong relationships with clients as well. Um, so that that's really our, our focus in in empowerment, in being able to teach new skills, um, and then bring everyone up that next level, and then and keep doing the same. You know, keep doing it so that we're bringing more people on and learning those things, and having everyone shuffle up in their jobs. The ones that want to do that, not everyone wants to do that, um, but the ones that do want to do that, that's that's where we're moving. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's a, a key point that you know, gold nugget right there is. Not everyone does want to progress their career, but I think the key point is understanding your team members and where they do want to go in their career and having those conversations. And a lot of the times when I talk locally at events, I'll have managers coming up saying, look, I don't want to move. I love my role. I don't want to become a partner, but I'm getting forced that that's where I have to progress. And, you know, equally, you've got accountants that are really, really good accountants. And then you put them into a leadership role, which they, they really suck at. They're not good at that. And they don't like it. And then, you know, I always say people get overpromoted into roles that they don't want to do and they don't, they're not good at doing. And then, then they find their way out of the business because they didn't fit the role that the business had put them in. Yeah, I think that's, right. that's yeah, that understanding where your team want to go is so critical with your local and your, and your offshore team. Mm. 
Mm. It's um, like putting a cat in a bathtub, you know, if you, it's, mm. it's never going to end well. If you don't find out where they want to be, it, it's going to be a disaster. So you need to have those conversations and, and work out where they will fit. Otherwise, you, you're effectively manage, managing them out by putting them into a role that they don't sit with. Yeah, no, 100%. So how has offshoring benefited your clients? Um, realistically, it's made things a lot quicker. So, you know, we can have a client that could, could ring and and say that they've got something that urgently needs attending to. And we've got the ability to be able to shuffle things around so that that can be done reasonably quick. Um, you know, we can we can do it really quick over, over, you know, 24 hours or even a couple of hours depending on what it is. So I think that's given us more flexibility in being able to do that. Um, and the quality of work as well because we have that consistency, because we've got consistent people with inconsistent roles, um, they know the clients well and, and getting that consistency in the job. So um, that's where the main benefit is. Excellent. Has offshoring contributed to giving you more time personally? Has it given you more balance within life? <laughs> I knew you were going to press the balance <laughs> button, Nick. I knew you were going there. Um, so firstly, I'll just, um, just put in a little disclaimer about a rant. Um, <laughs> the idea of balance for me isn't something that I strive to achieve. So if you visualise a set of scales, when they're balanced, they're sitting still. So for me, seeing something sitting perfectly still, I just don't think that we're, we're designed for that. I don't think as human beings we're designed for it. And I think people that, that look, at, look to achieve aren't looking to sit still. So, um, you know, I think we're always, we're always moving. So, yes, it would be great. Um, to feel relaxed and, you know, never be under any pressure and, and feel like things are rosy all the time. And, but, you know, in the longer-term impact around that is that there's reduced satisfaction because there's no challenges and, you know, you, you're not feeling like you're achieving or, you, or you're getting anywhere with that. So, um, and that's not everyone's opinion. That's just where I sit with it. But I do understand that all work and no play, it's, it's not healthy. So I do identify that. And I certainly have my life geared now where, where I have a bit of both I have work and I have home and at different times you know I might have a lot more work and at other times I might have a lot less work it, it does shift and change and I certainly have changed things where you know I do have more time during my working week where I go and do things with my kids and you know be the president of swimming club and do all of those things that that I feel satisfaction from um but you know I don't I don't sit back and go oh I need to have balance in my life and I'm just currently not getting it but um, I think it's important for people to remember that that things will move. You, you won't have this, this ideal balance all the time. Um, actually, Randy Zuckerberg has a really good book. So Randy Zuckerberg is Mark Zuckerberg's sister um, and a terrific book, and it's called Pick Three. Um, and I'd recommend that, that anyone bat battling the whole balance idea have a read of that book, um, particularly working mums. But it's got a piece in there and it talks about you're just picking your three priorities. So out of five, you pick what your priorities are on a particular day. And that way you're not beating yourself up when it's, you know, you've only had two hours with the kids and, and you wanted to have eight hours. Um, so that's really good. So, but to get back to what you're talking about with balance and that whole achieving, um, I have, we have changed how we do things. We've changed how our work flows. Um, but I feel there's probably more job satisfaction in the type of work that we're doing as a result of this. So Yes, I have more time. I have less time doing the stuff that I don't like doing. So I don't need to be um, summarising people's receipts that come in in a plastic bag. That's not my jam. And that's not for the practice either now. 
Um, so we have changed and remodeled what we do. So I guess in that, you know, if we're talking about unicorns and um, balance, yes, <laughs> we do have that. It's always an interesting question because I've, and I'm, you know, a lot of people in my family think I'm out of balance. Like I work probably more hours than anyone in this business. There's probably a few that rival me to our CEO and others, but I love what I do. And, but equally, I have a lot of time off with my kids on holidays. So on the holiday season or when they're on school holidays, I'm not at work. So I work a condensed amount of hours, but all people do is they just see me working those hours and, oh, you're so out of balance. And so, well, for me, it works. My, my structure is that it works that way. And I think there is no you know, work-life balance. There is no, I mean, what is that really? But it's yeah, always an interesting true. one because the answer we normally get from this is either yes or no. Yes, it gives me the option to do the things I want to do or no. Um, building the offshore team is actually taking more of my time at the moment, but that's going to be the benefit that we'll get from it in one, two, three, four years. Yeah, um, that's right. So it's always right. inter- it's an interesting question. I spend a lot of time in this space talking about balance, actually, and because I work with a lot of women as well, and I see it all the time, you know, they really, really belt themselves around what's going on in their life and that they don't have balance. And, you know, it's it's just it's all how you look at it. It's all what your perspective is and how you see balance. And I love what I do as well. You know, I, I love the business, but I also make sure that, that I make time and that my kids, when I'm with my kids, they see that as uninterrupted time as well. You know, it's not, they see that as quality. So, and I do the same, you know, I have school holidays off as well. So it's, and they understand that for mum to have, you know, a month off at Christmas time, yeah. she's just got to work every, every night. That's yeah. just, that's just life for them. And, and I think it gives them a good, good picture as well. Of you need to do these things in order to get ahead in life. It's not just all handed to you. So a few life yeah. lessons there. And I 100% agree. This four-hour work week, no one, no one became sex successful by not doing the work. That's just the reality of it. I think the media sometimes flips it. But when we look at, I suppose, the profitability to the firm, has has offshoring had a benefit to that? It has. So, I mean, with profitability, obviously, there's a lot of moving parts, but um, it's really increased our efficiency. So what I talked about before there, it's increased the overall business efficiency. So going from 14 team and coming back to 10. Um, and, you know, we've probably got more support staff now than what we had previously as well. Um, so that's that's where we've seen some changes. Um, but definitely with the inclusion of our, our TOA team, that's definitely assisted with our profitability. Excellent. What's the biggest myth or objection you've heard about having an offshore team? And is it true? Do we need to go back to balance again? <laughs> um, no, what, what I hear is that, you know, that employing offshore are taking away jobs from Australia and and that, you know, that, that you're, you're taking jobs away from graduates. Well, I don't see that at all. Um, so our team is still higher in Australia. Um, and when we went to offshoring, we did it through necessity because we needed to to have accounting team because we couldn't, we couldn't attract anyone or get anyone in Tenerfield. So um, what it's done is allowed our team to work on jobs that they really enjoy. Uh, work closer with clients and talk more with clients. So it's really increased the quality of our output and the quality of our relationships with clients. So the other thing tonight too is, I mean, show me a graduate that wants to, to come out and um, and that wants to be working on the type of work that our offshore team are doing. You know, they, they're not overly interested, and no offence to graduates at all, but they're not really interested in that, that sort of thing. They don't get any satisfaction out of it. You know, the expectation is that they're going to come out and be doing high-end work and client meetings and playing golf. It's not, you know, it, it's it's just, um, you know, and, that, and that's fine. You know, that's perfectly fine because 
that it's how you shift them into those roles. And that all comes back to that client relationship piece. So if you've got it structured so that your business has got the work being done so that your client facing team can do all of those things and, and build those relationships. And that's, you know, that's the key focus. So really we're not taking anything away from Australian employment. And I think you touched on something that our chief of people, Megan talks about often, which is meaningful work. Yeah. And people need to do meaningful work for job satisfaction. It's a big part of it. And I think a lot of people don't think about that. They just go, oh, we need this role and work done. So we're just going to put someone in it. Well, they're not going to stay in it if it's not something that inspires them. And it is meaningful. You don't have to have a passion for it, but it needs to be meaningful that it challenges them. Yeah, that's so Steph, right. that's, a, that's a good point. So we'll obviously put all your contact details for anyone to be able to reach out to you in the show notes. But what's the best way for someone to reach out to you? Um, so email, anyone can click me an email on Kristen, so K-R-I-S-T-E-N at class, K-L-A-S dot com dot A-U. Um, you can find us on our webpage of www.klas.com.au. Um, I don't play in the world of Twitter because I just leave that to Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> but Instagram, um, you can find me at Kristen, uh, so K-R-I-S-T-E-N-K-L-A-S. Awesome. Thank you so much for, there was so much that I took out of today. I've got a page full of notes. So I really enjoyed it and I'm sure our listeners will. So thank you very much for your time today and all no the golden nuggets you gave. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for your time. No worries. Thank you. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. And have a great day.